The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Extra special edition, multi-platform excellence that's what you got right here in this episode of the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all, it's Chip. Uh, and as you probably have seen from the description, this is going to be a, an example of some of the great uh, visual takes that you can get by watching the Cover 3 Podcast on CBS Sports HQ. We will not be uh, posting every single one uh, of the shows that we do on CBS Sports HQ, which... You can watch at cbssportshq.com or through the CBS Sports app on your Apple TV, Roku, or mobile device. But we did at least want to give you a little taste and use this as an opportunity to let you all know. So... 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time is when you'll catch it live. But the content itself, you can get to it at any time. In fact, CBS Sports HQ has a great video-on-demand function where if you pull up CBS Sports HQ, you can see all of the content that has been uh, aired recently. Very, very easy. You can go topic by topic. In in a lot of cases, the way that we're going to approach the show, you'll be able to go game by game or team by team, sort of flipping through, getting what you want. It's all going to be available to you. In this episode, Episode. It was Brady Quinn, it was Tom Fernelli, it was Barton Simmons, it was myself, and we broke down some of the biggest topics of the week, uh, including a look ahead to the SEC weekend. So uh, it is uh, a lot of fun for us to be doing it. We're going to be hanging out with y'all, uh, not only here on the podcast, but also on CBS Sports HQ. So we hope that you join us in both places as well. So enjoy the first episode of the Cover 3 podcast on CBS Sports HQ. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports HQ. That's Martin Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. That is Brady Quinn. We've got a lot to get to today. We've got Big Ten schedules to look at. We've got an SEC season that is kicking off here uh, this weekend. And uh, plenty of takeaways from the week that was in Week 3. So let's jump 
right into that action. Miami coming out of a big win against Louisville, first ranked-on-ranked team in ACC play. You got to see the, the offense was as advertised as it continues to take steps under Rhett Lashley. And so, Tom, to start with you, uh, how are you feeling about the buzz? How are we feeling about the U and its backness? Uh, are you buying into everything that your eyes showed you on Saturday night? Listen, there are two really stupid things any college football fan or viewer can do, and they just buy into Miami or buy into Texas being back. <laughs> well, I'm your idiot because I am all aboard the Miami hype train based on what I've seen the last two weeks from them playing against UAB last week and from Louisville over the weekend. This is an offense that really has been one of the most exciting offenses I've seen in the country to this point, and I think it is a perfect marriage between Rhett Lashley, the new offensive coordinator, and Derek King, who is the quarterback that is seemingly built for a Rhett Lashley offense. If we think back to 2013 when Lashley was at Auburn and he had that Nick Marshall, Trey Mason kind of setup, I feel like Miami has a very similar thing with King and Cameron Harris. And looking forward, I think this is a Miami team that, you know what? It might be the second best team in the ACC. Brady, I know you don't want to hear that, but I think it could be the case going forward. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want to hear that. I've got nightmares about the last time Notre Dame had to play Miami in South Florida. But look, Miami, Texas, they're, they're, it's kind of like Santa Claus when you get older, right? Like at one point you used to believe and it was special and it was awesome, but then you grew up and you were like, oh, it's, it's not real. So maybe they aren't. <laughs> uh, I want to believe. I really do. I think college football is better when Miami is one of those contenders. And what I'm seeing right now is the growth and the maturation process, not only of their quarterback, De'Ara King, but also that chemistry that's being developed between Rhett Lashley and De'Ara King. When you've got a play caller, especially in, in this uh, these circumstances surrounding around COVID, where they haven't had much practice time together, you know, you didn't have you know that that offseason program that usually you have a little bit more time to work together on the field and go through some things. There's going to be some growing pains. I think we saw that a little bit with UAB. And I think look, going into Louisville, playing a tougher opponent, being able to get a win, and, and I think I, I found uh, myself looking at Rhett Lashley plugging in players to specific positions within his offense. Brevin Jordan, yes, a tight end, but almost kind of playing a slot with the way they're utilizing his, his skill set for a bigger, almost pass-catching tight end wide receiver. You talked about the run game, but also the different plays he's drawing up, fooling some of his opponents. I love what they have going on right now. I understand their offensive line still has some work to do, but they're getting better. And I think that's the biggest thing. So right now, Barton, in my mind, like Miami's on the right track. The problem is they might get knocked off the track here in a couple weeks. Guys, I'm just like y'all. I want to believe in Santa Claus too. (laughs) I want to open my presents on Christmas. But until Santa Claus plays someone other than that Louisville defense, I'm going to reserve judgment. Look, I I was happy with what we saw I was happy with Brett Lashley. I was happy with Derek King. I think Miami is improved, and I think they're on the right track. But my bigger takeaway, I think, as the dust has settled and I've had a little bit of time to, to really digest what I saw the other night, is, is less about Miami and more about this concern about Louisville. Because while you guys may want to believe in Miami and Texas, I have wanted to believe in Scott Satterfield at Louisville from day one. And man, he made me look good last year. It, it was so fun to watch that program get back on track. And I, and I allowed that defense to be really bad in year one. You know what? Like we're turning this thing over, getting the culture fixed. But year two, I would expect a little bit of improvement from that defensive side of the ball. And they look bad. They looked really bad. Their average is 6.2 yards per play allowed 
far this year through two games. Miami was doing whatever they wanted with them. They had back-to-back 75-yard plays on bus. I, I just, I'm, I'm concerned. I, I'm, I'm looking forward and I'm anxious to see if there's improvements made on that Louisville defensive side of the ball. Because as you guys alluded to, like the offense is awesome. Uh, I need the defense to catch up. Yeah, we got Florida State coming up this weekend, but then a week off. And if that is an undefeated Miami team going into Death Valley, Brent Venables is not going to give the kind of space that Louisville gave this Miami (laughs) offense. This is going to be a very, very different contest. Uh, Turning our attention to another team from the state of Florida, another team that can get hype and buzz and conversation. Uh, It is the UCF Knights who who pulled away after a little bit of a sloppy game. It's like Georgia Tech kind of lulled them into playing the kind of game that the Yellow Jackets would be able to win. A lot of sloppy turnovers going back and forth a lot a lot of weirdness here but as we see 400 yards passing from Dylan Gabriel as we see four touchdowns and as we see a four touchdown win I'm looking at this schedule and I'm like I don't know if there's any team on that schedule that scares me if I'm UCF so are we already going to get started here thinking about what are the scores that are required what are the wins that are required to be able to get UCF some college football playoff love like Memphis has got to be able to be a competitive team and you've got to go and win that game and probably win it handily Cincinnati you hope is undefeated at the end of that season so that can take on a little bit of a winner elimination game type scenario when it comes to the New Year's Six much less the college football playoff but I loved what I saw from UCF's offense I love that their defense was forcing turnovers as well so i mean am I, I i'm sorry tom like am i am i already dragging you into the conversation you don't want to be a part of right now i heard you mention the words ucf and playoff in the same sentence and i really need you to slow down and stop and think about what you're doing ucf is not going to be in the college football playoff this year or probably in any year until the field expands to eight teams and it's got nothing to do with ucf ucf might finish its season undefeated it might deserve a playoff spot dylan gabriel might have one of the best seasons in the country he looked fantastic against georgia tech at the beginning of his sophomore campaign it's just we've seen from the playoff already They want power five teams. They would rather have two SEC teams in there than a UCF. So I don't think the playoff selection committee is going to allow UCF in no matter what, because it sets a precedent. Because even if we take the approach that, hey, it's 2020, it's a strange year, strange things are going to (laughs) happen. We'll put UCF in this time. That just opens the door for in the future. If there's a one loss or undefeated group of five champion, but then there's a really sexy two loss SEC team that just lost the conference title game. People are going to be saying, well, why can't we put in UCF? Why are you putting in this other SEC team? And I don't think they want to set that precedent. They want to keep it to power five as long as they can until they expand to eight teams. And then the group of five can have its token appearance. And maybe then UCF or somebody else will finally get the chance to prove themselves. But it's not happening this year, no matter what UCF does. Tom, I'm with you. No disagreements there. I'm not sure if you guys know this, but I actually have a special power to, to look into the future. And so so here's what I see happening <laughs> an undefeated season and then yes they're they're claiming another national championship because they went undefeated this season um, because of the circumstances with COVID so I do foresee that again them hanging up a banner after an undefeated season in their stadium 
even though we're going to have four other teams playing off for the real national championship. In all seriousness, though, this is a really good group of five football team. They have all the pieces that you're looking for. But as Tom pointed out, it's in part because of the college football playoff committee and I think what they're looking for as far as how they want to deem their national champion. But it's also because of the circumstances due to COVID. With a cut-down schedule, they don't have as quite a big of an opportunity to play a tougher Power 5 non-conference opponent. And on top of that, I think when you look at the landscape of college football right now and the fact that you've got most conferences playing 10 conference games, obviously the Big 12 only playing nine, but when you look at the Power 5 landscape, they, I think they're going to get more credit for having to play more conference games and, and the SEC being looked at as a more difficult track to be able to go undefeated or even a one-loss champion compared to years past where they only play eight. So I think that actually gives them more of an advantage to get not one, but potentially two teams in. And then obviously, look, if the Big Ten didn't announce they were coming back, I think maybe you could have said, all right, this might open the door for a group of five team. But now with the announcement that they're coming back in mid-October, I, I think that shuts out the door for any group of five team until expansion, Barton. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think that's a great point. I, I think that if Ohio State can get more than like three games in, I mean, how are you going to take UCF over the <laughs> program like that? And I, so I, I think that the UCF's run, look, and I respect UCF. You know, they, they got after Georgia Tech. They're a great team, but I was pessimistic on the last question. I'm going to be optimistic on this next one. Georgia Tech in a loss gives me reason to believe I'm not going to toss out that Florida State win in week one just yet. Jameer Gibbs, the true freshman running back, jumped in and had a touchdown catch. He had a touchdown run. He had a 75-yard kickoff return. Uh, they've got a true freshman at quarterback in Jeff Sims. They're starting a true freshman in the left tackle. This is a program in Georgia Tech under Jeff Collins that is starting to recruit at a level of which we've not seen under Paul Johnson. Just, I mean, the, the, the potential that this program has, if it continues to bring in guys like this, uh, I, I think you're going to see them start to improve over the course of this year consistently. Um, and and I, look, they were in the game through three and a half quarters or so. I know you, you see I pulled away, but I, I'm no less optimistic about the future of this Georgia Tech team to, to make strides this season, but, but more importantly, moving forward year over year, next year, two years from now, I think Georgia Tech is going to be in a great position to be a really good team in the ACC. Now, to get uh, the viewers a little bit of a behind the scenes here, we work together. We pour over our preparation for this show to give you the best content. And in our back and forth, we saw, why are we talking about UCF and not talking about Notre Dame? So it's time to let Brady Quinn, Notre Dame great, <laughs> what, what was the takeaway? Because we saw enough, like an offense that seemed to click in a lot of better ways than it did in the opener against Duke. So, Brady, what do you see in terms of the, that group as it starts to take a step forward? Yeah, look, I'm going to chalk up week one versus Duke more to the fact that, again, uh, not as much practice time, not as much time for uh, Ian Book to really develop that chemistry with his wide receivers on the outside, which it looked like that was something that was missing with the, in this offense, and potentially because, you know, Lindsey wasn't there at, at the wide receiver position on the outside. I think he's now got the speed and the ability to be a legitimate threat, along with McKinley, along with some of their tight ends, too, in the passing game. Uh, but what you saw in, in week two versus USF is really this Notre Dame offense rely on their strengths, and that's running the football. They have got a bunch of backs, whether it's Kyron Williams or Sebo Flemister or, or even you know Chris Tyree, their, their freshman running back who's got a lot of burst and speed to him. They've got a ton of playmakers. They've got an experienced offensive line. They are going to rely heavily on that group this year, I think, all throughout the season, and then allow Ian Book to take those shots 
or make situational plays to help them win football games. Then I think on the flip side, just the shutout for the defense. I mean, USF in the past had given Notre Dame some problems. And I think if you were watching the Duke game in week one, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you might have become a little bit concerned, especially considering the fact that one of their star players, Kyle Hamilton, went out with an injury. And so you weren't sure how that was going to impact the secondary. But this looked like a a big mismatch. And in particular, on the defensive side of the ball, USF just had a hard time really moving the ball. Heck, I thought Duke moved the football better. Uh, But after watching them versus BC, maybe they're just not a good football team either this year. Bottom line is, I think Notre Dame got back on track. I think they got some confidence. I think they're heading in the right direction, really kind of circling and, and preparing for that November 7th matchup versus Clemson. They are a beautiful foil with the way they are just going to mash and beat up on teams uh, in the trenches and try to do that on the way to competing for an ACC championship. Uh, Certainly stuff that we look forward to tracking here on the Cover 3 podcast. Coming up on the other side, we are going to take a look at the Big Ten schedule and identify the teams in the SEC that are the most interesting, that we're most excited to see play this weekend. All that and more next The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast on CBS Sports HQ. That's Brady Quinn. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Gentlemen, the SEC is finally kicking off. We've got those beautiful, beautiful horns coming back into our life. All the the glimmer, the glisten, uh, the experience. We're not going to have the packed stadiums that we're used to, but we are going to have some fans in some places. The 3.30 p.m. Eastern time SEC on CBS game of the week is Mississippi State and LSU. Be sure to keep it locked to CBS Sports HQ for all of your pregame, halftime, and postgame needs, and you can stream it on CBS Sports All CBS All Access. Brady, one of those two teams is one of your teams to watch here in week one. Which side are you taking, the Tigers or the Bulldogs? Yeah, surprisingly not the defending national champs in LSU. <laughs> I'm curious about air raid system and Mississippi State. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how this all worked out where he ends up in Starkville. But bottom line is, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I mean, I just think you've got too good of athletes, too good of defenses in the SEC. And I think it it could be a tough going for their quarterback, KJ Costello, who, yes, he's got about three years of experience. And I actually think he's a good fit for this offense. He's a good decision maker, but he's battled injuries throughout the course of his career. When you're throwing the football that much – in the SEC with some of the best edge rushers in college football, 
it could be a problem. But either way, uh, we got the gift that keeps on giving, and that's Mike Leach now in the SEC. So I'm fascinated to see how this game goes. I'm fascinated to see if there's going to continue to be that string of Mike Leach quarterbacks that lead the country in passing. I'm not so sure it happens, and I'm not so sure this thing ends well, but it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. You know, Brady, if you don't want to take the defending champions, I'll step up to the plate. And I will say that the team I'm most looking forward to watching this weekend is the team that Mississippi State will be playing, the defending champion LSU Tigers. This is a very interesting situation and one that we're not used to seeing with defending champions in which we really don't know what to expect from the Tigers this year, considering all that they lost from last year's team, not just players like Joe Burrow, Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and, you know, Justin Jefferson and a bunch of players on defense. They lost a bunch of coaches too. They're going to, you know, Joe Brady left to help the Carolina Panthers be offensive coordinator there. Dave Aranda left to become the head coach at Baylor, and they've brought Bo Pelini back to take over the defensive coordinator spot. And that's a lot of turnover for any team in any offseason, but for the defending champions to have to do it in an offseason like the one we've had, where there were no spring practices, training camp leading up to the year was truncated and kind of a weird situation and something that we're not used to seeing. Teams haven't had to go through before. So to have all those kind of changes and to come into a season in the SEC West as the defending champion with that target on your back against a team like Mississippi State in which they've got a new head coach as well, like Brady just went over. So you can't really know what to expect from your opponent either because they've given you nothing on tape to see. It's going to be a really interesting game for me to watch LSU. I think they're going to win. I think that they've got too much talent for Mississippi State to really deal with. But early in the season, things are probably going to be a little weird for everybody in the SEC. So maybe something crazy happens and the defending champs get upset. But it's I'm going to want to watch either way. Agree. I mean, you guys are right. And and Chip, Tom, y'all talk to me on the Cover 3 podcast multiple times a week. You knew who I was going to pick. Brady, here's, <laughs> yes. the, here's the pick and here's the cliff notes of why. Kentucky is my team. I want to see <laughs> what Kentucky can do this weekend. I've been hyping them up all offseason. They've got maybe the best offensive line in the country. They've got three NFL guys on that offensive front. They're, they're, they're loaded up front. They've got a deep and talented backfield. They've got a quarterback now that can actually throw it. Imagine what uh, Eddie Grant can do, that offensive coordinator with a little bit of ability to pass the ball along with the run game. They've got a defense that's stacked, but here's the best part. Here's why Kentucky is so dangerous, because uh, Mark Stoops can tell them every single year that nobody believes in you. No one thinks you're any good. All those cover three guys, they don't think you're any good. Well, don't listen to me, coach, (laughs) because I think you're really good, but I want you to keep that chip on your shoulder. But look, I could be wrong, and we're going to find out this weekend because I think it's the best game on the slate, Auburn versus Kentucky. We're going to find out really quick if Kentucky is a legitimate SEC East upstart contender because Auburn's a good team. Auburn's from the big bad West, and Auburn can beat you down quick and humble you. Uh, So I'm anxious to see how Kentucky handles that sort of challenge. It was a really good offseason. for Bart Nation? Ah, new meaning for BBN. There you go right there. I uh, I'll take I'll take the Tennessee Volunteers here because they have a little number beside their name. Like the the AP rankings are all weird because the Big 10 teams are out and we know that they'll be back in and so some of that will change, but there's still going to be an expectation when you tune in to watch them play at South Carolina that they are going to be living up to a top 20 team playing against an unranked team. But you go and you, you check out the odds from our friends at William Hill and they're only about a three and a half point favorite. 
That is a dangerous spot for a Vols team. So I'm fascinated to see, well, all right, Jared Guarantano, I, my expectations aren't that high. I think that this is a Vols team that tries to win in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Are you going to exceed those expectations and all of a sudden uh, bring that Tennessee team a little bit closer to the likes of a Georgia or a Florida? Or are you going to get suckered into some kind of 21 to 20 rock fight of a game, a Will Muschamp special, uh, something that is going to make Tennessee fans a little bit antsy and a little bit anxious about the result? Because we had a great offseason for Tennessee, a lot of good recruiting headlines. You had key players decide that they were going to be coming back. You know, you've got uh, you, you've got the Cade Mays eligibility waiver that some people believe he could be deemed eligible. That is a boost to an already really solid offensive line. This the, the vibes are pretty good around Tennessee, but what's going to ha- what's going to happen right there? Uh, I, I'm excited to see it. The bit of news from over the weekend, the Big Ten, uh, shortly after announcing that it would be playing football here in the fall, starting on that October 24th weekend, we got the schedule. Eight games in a row, a ninth championship week with the champions playing and games for the rest of the conference as well. So got to know here, uh, what was our big takeaway? Barton, who are you looking at and thinking about their schedule? Uh, so look, I, I'm recently um, a, a new father of three. I've got three kids, two of them are angels, two daughters are just these little princesses, and I have the third that's my problem child. She is, she is mischievous, she, is, uh, she, she, she causes all kinds of issues, uh, and when I find a way to discipline her, I do it. I figure out what works, not much does. And sometimes you just got to do it. Well, (laughs) Nebraska is the problem child of the Big Ten. And the Big Ten found a way to discipline Nebraska. And that is by at Ohio State and Wisconsin to open the season. Uh, Congratulations, Nebraska. You you stated your case. You you pounded your fist. You threatened to play non-Big Ten teams until the Big Ten got rolling. And and your parents were protesting all kinds of things. Well, now you got... Season. Here's your your uh, your two games to open things up, and uh, congratulations. Best of luck to you. I've got Penn State. I think when you look at the fact that they're playing eight games, no bye weeks, and then obviously ninth on that championship weekend, spacing in between your toughest opponents is incredibly important. So yes, they have that tough matchup early versus Ohio State in week two, but that could play as an advantage or disadvantage. You know, maybe Ohio State's not up to snuff at, at that point. Maybe they can catch them early, beat Ohio State, and really not have as tough of a path the rest of the way. But the other thing is, when you look at the other tougher East opponents, like having to go to Ann Arbor and playing Michigan, they have some softer games in between. So I actually think the schedule uh, sets up pretty well for Penn State to potentially win the East. And if not, even if they only lost to Ohio State, I think if that was their only loss and Ohio State goes undefeated and wins the Big Ten, maybe it's Penn State that also represents in the college football playoff two teams from the Big Ten potentially. You know, Barton, you're talking about the Big Ten wanting to punish Nebraska. What the world did Michigan do to the Big Ten for its schedule? We look at they have to play Penn State and Ohio State in the East as it is. But then the two teams they draw from the West are Wisconsin and Minnesota, the two teams that were winning 10 games a season last year, and two teams that might be the two best teams in the division again this year. I think Michigan's got a very difficult road to get through, and I think to finish eight games in a row at Ohio State just adds kind of a cherry on top to a very difficult schedule for the Wolverines in 2020. 
All right, listen, everybody talks about Ohio State got an easy break. Let's take a look at this real quick. We don't need to take long. Ohio State has an easy schedule every year because it's Ohio State, because it is the best <laughs> daggum team in the conference. Because just like Oklahoma in the Big 12 and just like Clemson in the ACC, they start every season expecting to be the conference champions. Ohio State got an easy schedule because it is Ohio State, because they have superior talent, and because that is a well-oiled machine that is churning through. Listen, they just need to make sure that they don't lose as a 20-point favorite against a Purdue or Iowa, and then Ohio State will be in the college football playoff, like Barton said earlier, even if they just have three games, 3-0 and Buckeyes, you're going to get in over a second team from another Power 5 conference. It's just the way that this thing works. I'm not in charge. Don't blame me. Our thanks to Barton Simmons, Brady Quinn, and Tom Fernelli. Make sure that you go and subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast. Make sure that you watch us 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on weekdays. It's the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports HQ. I'm Chip Patterson. Thank you very much.